can't tell if the chemistry is good by looking at it. It wasn't clear yesterday. For the last time, the saltwater pool is a chlorine pool. This is the Talking Pools podcast with pool pros from every region in the country. If it happens in a pool, you'll hear about it here. Everything from tips and hacks to the latest tricks and trends, breaking news. We lay it on the line. We tell it like it is because we think you deserve to know. Join the Council for the Model Aquatic Health Code, aka CMAC. CMAC is a member-driven organization that keeps the Model Aquatic Health Code sustainable, current, and complete. Your expertise is needed. Learn more at CMAC.org. That's C-M-A-H-C.org. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Tuesdays with Kelly and Dan. Only tonight, Kelly's not here, so you're stuck with me. Tonight, today... This afternoon, whenever you happen to be listening to this, Kelly's having technical difficulties. So it's uh, me going all on my own for the first time. Uh, It'll be interesting, but at least I've got a great topic because we had a question come into the Talking Pools group from uh, Rob Matthews, actually, at Pristine Water out in Williston, Williston, Florida. I think that's how it's pronounced, Williston. Anyway, he asked us. And this is sort of uh, piggybacking off of our episode last week a little bit on differentiating yourself. But why do so many pool companies give their services away by not charging enough? I know I've I've talked often about charging what you're worth. And uh, I think this one is is a little bit uh, more towards. um, I guess I'm going to I'm going to go a direction in terms of not only charging what you're worth, but how do you determine what that is? How do you determine how much you should charge? And many different people have different thoughts on that, but um, the, the one thing that I think most business owners uh, lose sight of is how they're sort of calculating exactly everything that, that goes into any job that you do and are often paying themselves simply as an employee and aren't leaving anything remaining as profit for the company. So, you know, as we price things, services, installations, all these types of things, we've certainly got a number of costs that go into it. The hard costs are um, the materials, that's one that's very easy. You, you know, you're going to the distributor, you're picking it up, they're going to charge you for it. What's it going to cost me? Um, you know, you, you want to cover not only the the whole good, but the parts. If you're putting in a pump, are you using unions, electrical fittings? Are you using bonding lugs and some bonding wire because you need to extend it to get it reattached? All of those variables that go into it that are that are a little bit more of the fixed costs. Then you've got other expenses that come into play that uh, are a little bit harder to pinpoint on every given job what the expenses are. You know, you've got expenses around the business, right? You have expenses for phone. If you happen to have an office, even if it's an at-home office, you have expenses for electricity, for computers, for 
printers for internet, um, you know, all of those types of things. You also have usually bigger expenses for the vehicle you're driving, the insurance on the vehicle, the, the business insurance for potentially some marketing costs for uh, the gas and, and maintenance on the vehicle that, that you're driving. All these types of things play into the, uh, the expenses area. So when, when you look at all of these various uh, costs that go into what you're doing, the, the one thing that, uh, you know, I've, I've heard some people say that, hey, if, if I pay $1,000 for the pump and I install it for $1,500, I made 500 bucks. But they're really not considering all of these other expenses, are you? You know, if you've been doing this for a while and if you keep accurate track of the various costs of the business, there there are some formulas you can use that are sometimes helpful. And and one thing that you might look at is look at your your total sales, maybe from last year. So go back to your books from 2022 and, and look at what were your total sales. And if you're keeping track of your expenses, all of this overhead that isn't directly attributed to a single task that you do, um, how, how much do you have in expenses? And just create a ratio between the two. You know, okay, if I did 100,000 in sales or 200,000 in sales or a million in sales, and I, you know, say say you did a 100,000 in sales and you have $25,000 worth of, I'll say, miscellaneous expenses. Well, then you can pretty much tack on to any sale that you do an expense of 25% of whatever the sale is, right? So if you're going to install a pump for $1,500, well, aside from the hard costs of the pump and whatever materials go directly in that job, you can take a percentage of that $1,500 at 25%, if that's the ratio that you come up to at the end of last year, and say that, uh, you know, an extra 25% of that 1500 is going to go to my my overhead, my expenses. I'm going to set that aside to pay my electric and pay my gas and pay my my vehicle costs and all that kind of stuff. The one area, though, that, that you have to always look into is that area with the, uh, the costs where you're attributing a cost for your time. And this is something that when someone is an individual, Again, that $1,000 pump that they're putting in for $1,500 and thinking they made 500 bucks on it, um, they're, they're often not realizing, well, as a business owner, you should be attributing a cost to the number of hours that it took to do the job. So, you know, let's say this particular pump installation took two hours to do. If you had to pay somebody in your market a prevailing, you know, kind of not a prevailing wage in terms of unions and things like that, but a, you know, what is what is your market paying for someone who's capable of installing a pump? If you're gonna pay someone 30 bucks an hour to install that pump, then and if it takes two hours to do, then you've got to factor 60 bucks in for that labor on the cost. So, you know, you've got the amount you sold it for, the fifteen hundred, minus the the hard costs of the pump at a thousand. Maybe you've got some miscellaneous fittings and electrical and whatnot's in our 50 bucks. You have to pay sales tax, 
you know, depending on how it goes, if you bought the pump for a thousand at the distributor and you pay sales tax at the distributor, you paid them some amount in our Chicago market, that's almost 10%. So, you know, to make it easy, let's say 10% is 9.75, but let's say 10%. So you've got a $1,500 sale, $1,000 in material costs, $100 that you're going to pay someone in sales tax on that material in the state of Illinois anyway. Um, you're going to, if if you're at a 25% uh, expense ratio, that's another $375 right there. So, you know, $1,500 minus the $100 in sales tax, minus $1,000 for the material, minus $375 for the... Uh, expenses to cover your overhead at again 25 percent of your sale if, if that's a common way to to kind of attribute expenses to your your sale price that leaves you with 25 bucks and you haven't even paid an employee to go out and put it in yet so if you're paying employees 60 bucks for two hours worth of labor you're 35 bucks in the hole that doesn't make uh, business look real good at the end of the year when when you're the business is not showing a profit. You know, so so you you really need to look at how you're pricing yourself. Certainly, you need to somewhat look at the market and what will the market bear. Um, I will argue that if you're good at what you do, you want to make sure that you're at the top of that market. You need to be able to uh, justify why somebody wants you to do it as opposed to the guy who was a hundred bucks less. Um, last week, Kelly and I talked about a number of things that can be helpful in differentiating yourself, right? So um, it may be it's because if a warranty situation comes up, you're the one that's going to take care of that warranty situation. Maybe it's because you've been around for 15 years or, or more and have a reputation that, that, precedes you. Um, maybe it's because you've got longstanding business that you've been doing with these particular people. They they know you, they trust you and and understand that that you're worth more. There are all these different things that come into how you're gonna justify that that you're more money than the guy down the street. So always try to place yourself at the higher end of whatever your area is in terms of market, in terms of the costs and and, and what people are charging. Kelly and Dan will be right back after these messages. Have you heard there is a group of pool service professionals nationwide that are here to help grow and protect your business? The Independent Pool and Spa Service Association, known as IPSA, is here to help you. By joining the largest trade organization created by and for pool and spa service techs, you gain access to industry networking opportunities, exclusive educational offerings, IPSA's Tech for Tech route coverage, and more. So be independent, supported, and part of a professional community. Go to IPSSA.com to learn how to be a member of IPSA today. Never lose sight of the fact that ultimately, if you had the opportunity, I think there are very few of us who would say, I want to keep doing this forever. That I want to be out there working 12, 15 hour days, six, seven days a week for the rest of my life because I just love pools so much. 
but that's what I'm going to do. And, you know, if that is you, then, okay, great. You know, I, you know, love what I do and I've been doing it for, for a long, long time, but uh, inevitably early on, I found that there was a different place for me other than being out on the road and physically doing the job. And I found there was more value being sort of at the head of the operations and having people out there doing the jobs who are paid and are paid well, but that there's money left over to be able to pay myself and to have a profit for the business and to grow the business and to bring more people on and to be able to provide for them and their families to continue that cycle over and over and over to where, you know, when, when I first started in the business back in 1987, I, I want to say there were probably four four to five service people, I'll say, out in the field in, in the summertime. There was one person that worked year-round, another person that worked uh, full-time only from maybe the 1st of April until sometime in maybe October. And then there were two or three college people that worked, uh, you know, part of May, June, July, part of August before they went back to school. That was it. And... I saw the opportunity. I saw how things needed to be different and could be different. And a lot of it had to do with how we priced things. And I started analyzing things way back before computers were able to help us do it on legal notepads, stacks and stacks of them, analyzing everything that we did so that I came down to averages of how long does it take to put in a pump, put in a filter, put in a heater, to troubleshoot a heater, to uh, you know, open a pool to close a pool, whatever, whatever the task was, I, I analyzed data and came up with numbers. And I looked at all the, the hard costs, the materials that went into all of them. I looked at the hours it took to do and what we were paying at the time uh, for those hours, looked at the overhead. And I, I had a couple of different methods I used to to try to factor overhead into it and, and came to a consensus between the two numbers. But you know, in a similar way, looking at our overall expenses based on a percentage of sales. Um, I also calculated other things into it. So in a service repair technician type of position, it's very, very hard to have any repair technician billing, charging, being on the job more than 50% of his day. If you can get someone to be up to 55%, you're doing very, very, very well. But if someone's going to work a 10-hour day, they're only going to be actively working, repairing, installing stuff for maybe half that time. You know, in our our business, the repair technicians have maybe five service calls a day. They start at 7 in the morning. And, you know, an early day is 5 at night. So, you know, what are they getting done during that day? How many hours are they actually productive in terms of on the job time and then we we have to factor overhead costs for that time that they're being paid that they're not producing revenue right they're they're driving they come in at seven and they load up for the day they may be in the in the building for a half hour 45 minutes sometimes an hour depending on what the day is getting prepared getting loaded having conversations with with people to have a full understanding of what they're being asked of that day so if if we're looking to pay somebody 30 bucks an hour, I can't attribute 30 bucks an hour to that job if we're only actually producing revenue for 
half the time they're working. So now I've got to attribute $60 per hour in terms of the cost relative to getting that job done. And then you've got other other costs and, you know, sometimes people look at other costs and, and tack it on in terms of uh, insurance costs and things like that and tack that into more of a, a labor component of the of the job. But again, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. But the thing you need to, to think of is that you need to attribute those costs to that task that you're doing and not consider that to be revenue in your pocket. Now, maybe you will pay yourself that $30 an hour at the end of the day, but after all is said and done, you wanna cover the cost for the labor for the day, you wanna cover the expenses and the overhead, you wanna cover the costs for the materials that are used to go into the job. And then after all that is said and done, you wanna sell the job at a rate that leaves some money for profit at the end of the day, week, month, and then, of course, the end of the year. If you do it that way, it will help you to be able to realize those profits and turn those profits back around into investments for the company um, or to, in some cases, pay yourself twice. You can pay yourself for doing the work as the employee. You know, whatever it is, 20 bucks an hour, 25, 30, 35, 50, whatever the number it is, build it into that cost. And then at the end of the, the day, week, month or year, you can, as a business owner, if that is who you are, you can then draw additional revenue off of that profit. Um, and, and, you know, that's a lot of people just as business owners will only pay themselves off a of profit, right? Because they've got other employees that are out there doing the work. So again, to to the point of the question, Rob, that you asked, why do so many pool companies give their services away by not charging enough? I think it's because they really don't understand that they're operating as a business. And and they're, you know, in my mind, kind of like a a, a guy that does side jobs for cash as a handyman. Hey, you know what? I went out there, the guy bought his own XYZ thing. I put it in, he paid me 200 bucks for the day and I made 200 bucks cash and hey, it was a good day. At the end of the week, if I do that five days in a row, I got a thousand dollars cash, I'm doing great. That kind of mentality doesn't have built into it the potential for, for growth, um, for expansion, for retirement, for you know having a, a I, I guess i'll say a way out at the end of the rainbow right you keep doing this long enough eventually it, it catches up with you and and you you probably are going to want to say at some point in time i don't want to do it anymore i want to be able to either have others do it while i sit back and take my money off of just the profits of the business or i want to be able to sell the business and if you're looking to sell the business businesses are sold off of the profits that are made. That's what someone looking to buy a business wants to know. They don't wanna buy a business that isn't making money at the end of the year. They don't often, if they are true business people, are not looking to buy a business just so they can be out there working, making wages. And I think ultimately that's the biggest difference between uh, those who charge their, their worth, as I said last week, um, 
with Kelly and and are higher priced that tend to always have people trying to undercut them um, because those people undercutting just aren't really applying all of the various things that business owners have to apply to factor in their pricing. So anyway, bottom line, look at your costs, figure out what you would have to pay someone for the day and how much actual productive labor you're going to get out of that and figure out an hourly fee that you have to build into that. And of course, attribute that to the number of hours it's going to take to do the work. Your expenses, always, always, always consider your expenses. The the amount of overhead you can't directly attribute to every single task divided by your overall sales for the year is a great way of doing it. Um, and then, you know, back into it from that, what you want to sell the job for so that in the end you have some profit, that you're not just paying yourself wages or, you know, there, there are so many times I hear people that get to the end of the month and they can't pay their bills because they sold way too many of those $1,500 pumps that cost them $1,600 to put in and they didn't even know it. And at the end of the month, they, you know, they put in 20 pumps. Wow, I had a great month. I put in 20 pumps, 20 times 1,500. I made a ton of money this month. But when every one of them lost them a hundred bucks, they're two grand in the hole at the end of the month and they can't figure out why. So at any rate, hopefully that uh, gives a little bit of insight to that. Rob, appreciate you asking that question of us. And I, I uh, hope that that's helpful to others out there and, and maybe helpful to you, Rob, if others around you start applying those types of thoughts into their own business and, and stop with the low ball stuff that ends up making no one money. Um, and also Rob, thank you. Uh, we'll send you a thank you. And in, in one of uh, Rudy's hats will be on its way over to you for asking that question. We appreciate your, your contributing to this week's episode. So thank you for that. And uh, I'm going to kind of leave it, leave it all there. I want to make sure that you guys are listening to the rest of our episodes Monday through Friday and keep the questions coming. And uh, also thank you to, CMAC and IPSA for what they do to help support our podcasts and, and also more so what they do to help support the industry. So on behalf of myself and Kelly, who is somewhere out in the cloud, somewhere unable to connect to me tonight, uh, thank you from her as well. Everyone stay safe. We'll talk to you again. just wanted to take a minute to say thank you for listening today. I'm hoping you enjoyed the episode as much as we enjoyed putting it together for you. Listen, it's been a couple of wacky, crazy, screwed up years from pandemic to Poolmageddon. I just want you to know that we are all in this together. If there's anything that we can do for you, send me an email at talkingpools at gmail.com. Again, that's talkingpools at gmail.com. We're here. This is your podcast. We are the Pool People's Podcast of the Pool People for the Pool People by the Pool People's Podcast. This one is about you. So thank you for tuning in and listening. Do me a favor. Click subscribe before you go. That way you don't miss an episode. 